This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. We had a really fun weekend. Pastor Logan, our youth pastor, got married on Friday. And uh, this, this sanctuary, listen, I, I'm going to give a little plug to the auditorium you're now sitting in. This became the, the reception hall, and it was so awesome. I just, some of you were dancing on this floor right here, and now I'm looking at you right now, judging your moves. <laughs> uh, it was a good time. It's, listen, it's amazing that we get to celebrate as, as, um, as a church family. It's amazing that we celebrate as people. This is what God has called us to do. There are times to mourn, God said, and times to celebrate. And, uh, you know, the book of Acts is a book about not just a religion being formed, but in fact a movement um, going forward. And so uh, we've been talking about that. Uh, the book of Acts is, is a fast-paced book, and some of you will realize that today we're in Acts chapter 8, and we've been at this since June. So you realize we're not going to get through the whole book this summer. That's okay. We'll come back at it next summer or two summers from now. But, but we are, uh, listen, as a church, I was talking to some of you before the service began, as a church, we are committed to staying rooted in God's word. And I'm thankful for people that have gone before me that have written lots of good books. I am a bibliophile. I love to read. But I, I am committed as your pastor to us staying committed to God's word and anchored in God's word because when we stay anchored in his word, that actually gives us like a rudder and, and uh, places to, to guide our, our thinking. So we're in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 40. Uh, the title of this week's message could be the first term, the first short-term missions trip, well, because this is the first short-term Christian missions trip ever recorded in the Bible. And um, in this, we're going to see a theme that continues throughout the book of Acts, that God uses really ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Um, last week, we were introduced to the character of Philip, and if you heard uh, Pastor Ethan speak last week, if you didn't, if you were away on holidays, I just encourage you to go and watch that message. It was really awesome, really encouraged my heart, and I know it will encourage your heart. But he introduced us to Philip. And Philip was just an, I mean, not just an ordinary, he was an ordinary person. He was a lay person, we know. He wasn't like a super apostle. He did not have a lot of credentials. He was basically a full-time server. And... Um, He's what, what um, we would call a layman, and um, God's going to use him in this passage to bring the first foreigner to Jesus. Um, you're going to see how the Spirit of God was preparing Philip and how he's been preparing this foreigner that we're going to talk about and how he brings the two together. Um, right from the outset, let me just say this, that I, I believe that God wants to use many of you in different ways in this season in different ways than he's ever used you before. And I hesitated, you know, when we, I, I was um, planning out this series about a year ago, and I recognized that this Acts chapter 8 was going to be on the long weekend. Everybody's favorite long weekend where no one's here. And you're here, though, so, I mean, that's the important thing. Uh, and I, I just felt like the Lord said, no, there'll be people there that need to hear this and to be challenged by it. So away we go into Acts chapter 8. Disclaimer, this is one of my very favorite passages in the New Testament. Um, I want you to see this, though, from the beginning. There is no gap 
between God's calling, the call to follow Jesus, and the call to engage in the Great Commission. So there's no gap ever in Scripture where God says, okay, you're going you're gonna to say yes to me, and then we're going to wait for an extended period of time, six to nine months, once you've had enough time to memorize Deuteronomy. Uh, this is not the way of the kingdom. This is not the way of God. It's You come to Jesus, and God... Uh, spits you back out to do something for his kingdom, to make his kingdom come. Somebody said it's like God's uh, is a little bit like a, a tornado. He brings you in just to spit you back out. He doesn't spit you back out. Don't send me a letter about that. But the point is that involvement in missions or involvement in the Great Commission is not something you do later when you're ready, when you've had enough evangelism courses. I always find it quite fascinating and very weird that there is an inverse relationship between how many evangelism courses a church offers and how little evangelism people do. Isn't that weird? Like, the more you learn about how to evangelize, the less you actually do it. So I'm not saying don't go to courses on evangelism. Just don't live out that, don't live out that stat. Um, so let's get to the scripture. It says this. Uh, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay, a little bit of context if you weren't here last week. We left Philip in Acts chapter 7 in the middle of a revival. So Philip has gone to the Samaritans. Remember, uh, Ethan told us last week, Philip went down to Samaria, which actually didn't mean he went down. He actually physically went up. But God met Philip and the Samaritans there, and they received the power of the Holy Spirit and, and people are coming to Jesus, and this is amazing. Um, if you're anything like me, you don't like to leave a comfy place. How many of you have, like, a special chair in your house that you sit in? Anybody? Yes. Some of you are embarrassed to admit about your special chair. I have a white special chair that my mom lent to me, but now I have taken over forever. I'm just saying that publicly. It's on the record now. Sorry, Mom, you're never getting it back. Anyways, it's this big white chair that I sit in, and I often will study in it and read in it. But the worst thing happens when I get in this white chair and one of the dog barks to go outside. You know that feeling? You've just, got, you've just gotten comfortable. You've just put your feet up after a long day. And then I hear, woof, woof, <sighs> And I want to teach my dog how to open a door, but he doesn't have opposable thumbs, so that makes it hard. And then I'll call to the kids, kids, but I, my white chair is in a place that nobody can hear me, or they have selective hearing and nobody hears me. Or this is what happens, mom, you sit in that white chair. If you're a parent here, you know this happens. You sit in that white chair, that brown chair, whatever chair, color chair yours is. As soon as you sit down, somebody needs something. I can't reach a plate that's way too high. But you know that even at 18 months, they could climb things. It's just because they have an innate sense that you are comfortable. Yes, I see those hijinks. Okay. So Philip is in a really comfortable place in Acts chapter 7. People are coming to Jesus. It's like a church revival. The church is growing. People are getting the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. Hmm. And then God sends them to Gaza. Now, what's amazing about the writing in this part is that the, the narrator actually tells us he goes to Gaza. This was a deserted place. Gaza was like, I, I, I was trying to think about what town I could equate it to and not be offensive. And I thought, I just, 
I just want you right now in your own private, think of the worst town on earth for you. Okay? You all have that in your place? It could be a place with only one gas station in it that's never open when you need gas. Okay. That's where Gaza was. So Philip is in the middle of a revival and God says, no, you're going to Gaza. It's a deserted place. It was a desert place. Um, and and um, more than that, it's a Philistine, a Philistine city. Gaza is a nasty, dirty little town filled with Philistines. It's not like, it's not on your Instagram reel, 10 places to visit while you're, this is like somewhere nobody wanted to go. And it's way out of a comfort zone for a Jewish person. This would not be one of their top 10 places to go. Um, it's really inconvenient to get there. So from where, where Philip was to where God calls him, it's 165 miles. So my living in America has not wear, worn off. It's like a lot of kilometers away, okay? A lot of kilometers away. And Philip has to walk there. Hmm. I think sometimes we read stuff like this and we think, yeah, Philip call, God called Philip to Gaza. And we sort of, we don't really know geography very well. So we go, it's somewhere in Israel. <laughs> he could have taken a first class trip. No, he walked to Gaza, a terrible little town with like, there's not even anything you're going there for. You don't even know why you're going there, but you're walking a hundred. Can you imagine explaining that to people? Some of you have been on short-term missions trips before, and you, you, um, I, I know this because I talked to my kids. They, all the youth just came back from L.A. And you talk to them about, my suitcase got wrecked. My daughter's suitcase, it got wrecked, Mom. They, they wrecked my suitcase. Or I had a two-hour layover when I went somewhere. It was really hard. We had to buy $7 bubble tea and <laughs> first-world problems. Philip had to walk 165 miles. Do you know, if you told me, if you came up here after the service, the Lord has called me to walk to somewhere, honey, we'd have your face up here, they're walking, we'd have, the, we'd have the media here. What a servant. And it says just in verse 27, and he rose and went. He left his comfortable chair and he went. And there, passing through Gaza, was an Ethiopian eunuch, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. Okay, so today, uh, Ethiopia is geographically a smaller country, but, but in that day, Ethiopia was basically everything in Africa south of the Nile River. It was absolutely ginormous. And this guy was the treasurer of the whole entire region. So this uh, Ethiopian eunuch is a powerful dude. He, um, eunuch means that he has been castrated um, because if you're going to work in a palace with the queen, they want to make sure that there is no frisky business happening. So they took care of that. If you have any questions about that, you can ask Pastor Dave after the service. He'll <laughs> be happy to give you an in-depth explanation as to this scripture, historical context. Okay. So uh, it's, the scripture says here that he had come to Jerusalem to worship which begs another question, why did God send, why couldn't God have just waited till this man got to Jerusalem? Anyways, God sends him to Gaza. And so for whatever reason, this man was curious about the God of the Jews. They had lots of religions in Ethiopia. They worshiped things like suns and animals, like many of the countries around. And maybe this guy had a sense that there was more to it than that, 
We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. Maybe, um, maybe he had a, a yearning to know God. Obviously, he did. But this guy had gone to Jerusalem to learn about God. And in verse 20, it says, and he was returning, seated in his chariot. Okay. So this was not, uh, like, if you, if you Google this and look for the Google images of this, it, there'll be, like, a guy sitting on a turtle or something and people. Um, he would have had many, many people um, carrying him uh, because it was a 1,200-mile journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. So this guy has come on a major, major uh, journey. And um, he was reading the prophet Isaiah, verse 28 says. Tw- verse 29 says, And the Spirit said to Philip. Okay, so that's where you have to stop. The question is, how, how did the Spirit say to Philip? It doesn't really tell us, but one thing you find in Acts is that the Holy Spirit speaks to people, continuously speaks to people, moving them into mission, always moving them into mission. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 59 times in the book of Acts, and about 40 of those times he's speaking. And the Spirit said to Philip, it says here, Acts chapter 10, verse 19 says, the Spirit said to Peter, go down and talk to these men, don't be afraid. Acts chapter 13, verse 2 said, the Holy Spirit said to the church, separate for me Paul and Barnabas. And my question for us today is, um, do you know and walk with the Holy Spirit in this way? Are you aware of him speaking to you? Well, this is a curious thing because um, this is a difficult thing. But Jesus said in the book of John that my sheep hear my voice and they know me. They know me. As Christians and believers, we are able to hear the, the voice of God. Now, sometimes people will say, well, that ended with the Bible. But there's no sense. There's nowhere in the book of Acts that God said, you know what, I'm done talking now. I'm on a silent, I'm on a silent break. You must only read my words. We do know that from God's word that God is continually speaking. The question is, are we cultivating ears to hear what he is saying to us? And this takes practice. So if you don't know somebody very well um, and you don't know their voice very well, uh, you'll, you'll, I mean, people can prank call you all day long and you won't know it's them. Uh, but if you know someone's voice really well, you can't be tricked, you know their voice, correct? Uh, at Logan's wedding, they played this little game and uh, Logan had to, uh, or Olivia had to know, Logan is our youth pastor if you're new here, Olivia, his wife, had to, uh, know Logan's voice and all the guys in line tried to like make their voices weird and everybody tried to make well, like of course it was a kind of a silly uh, truth because of course Olivia knew Logan's voice this was the person she loved and I would just say the same is true for us as believers that as we cultivate that relationship with God we get to know his voice we get to hear it and know it and this doesn't happen when you've, like, known Jesus for such a long time that you're, like, at death's door, you're about to die. This can happen, like, now, as you know him now. I can remember when I was probably about 13 or 14, I, uh, I had just really made a decision that I was going to follow Jesus, and so I started reading my Bible at night. And my dad would always say to us, now, you can't just have a one-way talk with God. So one-way talk with God is where you ask him for 4,000 things, and then you say, signing off, over and out, goodbye. Uh, You actually have to cultivate relationship with God, so that means that you have to be listening for him. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to do that. So every day I would just spend a little bit of time listening for God's voice. Well, I 
got a little bit older, and this practice became something that I did every day. And I knew that the Lord had spoken something to me, but I wanted to pretend that I didn't know. I don't know if that's really the Lord. That could just be like weird pizza I ate last night. Every day, I just cultivate this. And every day, I could hear God saying this. <clears throat> so I did what all of us do when we don't want to hear what God's saying. We don't listen anymore. So I stopped listening. And that I knew, even as a teenager, that that affected my walk with God. I, I want to I just speak on this long weekend. God wants to cultivate a relationship with you wants to speak to you, and you will know his voice. Some of us, we say, oh, I don't know if I can hear God's voice, but you can, you just don't want to hear what he's saying to you. And this is true in all of our relationships, yes? You have people that say things to you, and you think, no, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> no, I don't want to. And what we must do is say yes to God to all the things he's saying to us, because his plans for us are good. His words to us are good. His heart for us is good. And when we cultivate that relationship, we get better at it. So now, the, the, when, when you cultivate that back and forth with God, I could hear God in the middle of a parking lot with everything. I'm not, and I'm nobody special. I have just cultivated the practice of just listening for his voice. And the best way that you can grow in your ability to be able to work out the mission of God, like what he wants you to do, is just continually cultivate that. So when our kids were little, and we'd put them to bed, Every night, I would sing a melody of weird songs. They were just very weird. I sang 17 in a row. By the time I had Eden, by the time I had four kids, I started off singing three. By the time I had Eden, I was singing 17. It took me so long, and I don't know why I did that to myself. But anyways, uh, always at the end of our bedtime routine, we would say to them, okay, so now what is, let's, let's pray, and now let's ask the Lord what he's speaking. Let's ask the Lord what he's saying to us. And every night, I would say to the kids, what do you think God's speaking to you right now? And when they were little, they would always, you know, because when we're little, we don't have the, um, we don't feel weird about it. So the kids would say all these, like, I mean, sometimes they wouldn't say profound things, but they would say, you know, the Lord told me he loves me tonight, and he's proud of me, and I don't have to be afraid. And then some nights it would be, the Lord said I can be mean to Eli. <laughs> we had to do a little teaching and correcting there, but you know. But my prayer for my kids, and my prayer for your kids too, is that that becomes regular, that becomes something normal, that they, in a busy world, in a crazy, crazy world that has all kinds of voices coming after, listen, in a crazy world that has all kinds of voices coming after you, we must cultivate hearing the voice of God. Otherwise, how will we know who's speaking to us? Now, the voice of God's always going to line up with his word, always. This is how we, this is why we got to be anchored to God's word. Because God's never going to, he's never going to lie about himself. And, you know, oftentimes if I hear the voice of the Lord, I'll go to Dave and say, hey, I'm feeling this. What do you think? And we, we get counsel in the, we get wisdom in the counsel of many. But that, sometimes, because we're so worried about getting it wrong, we just don't cultivate it at all because we're afraid of it. But I keep saying, I said this to uh, our interns this summer. Worst thing that can happen is you can get it wrong. Oh well, nobody, nobody died in the making of this movie. <laughs> you got it wrong. I, I can remember being about 21 or 22, and I uh, really felt like the Lord was uh, like speaking to me. I could really hear him. There's, there are seasons in your life where you'll hear his voice even more clearly. And I um, was at a camp or something, and I felt like the Lord told us to do something. And I went up to the front, and I told the pastor, and he was like, no, 
I don't think you've heard from the Lord. And I was mortified in the minute, like, I don't even like you anymore. How could you say no? Uh, And then I realized I went back to my seat and I thought, oh, well, I didn't die. Nobody died in the making of this movie. I just learned something about that nothing's going to happen. The sky is not going to fall if you hear the Lord, think you hear the Lord's voice and you get it kind of wrong. This, by the way, this is why you have to be in a small group so you can practice these kinds of things so you can get amongst family and practice. Okay, I told all the staff I was going to be very short today and I have now lied. Okay, so the reason for some of us so that we're not on mission, listen, the reason your Christian walk is boring, the reason it's a chore to get up and do the things he's called you to do is perhaps because you're not listening for his voice. Because when we listen for his voice, that actually puts us in this place of like great adventure every day. Like, what is God going to say to me today? What words is he going to give me today? So God said to him, go over and join his chariot, this chariot. So Philip ran up to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31 says, and he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And um, you know who was really ticked off about this, though? <laughs> the guys holding the chariot, because now they're holding two guys. And <laughs> I was thinking about this scripture, and they, they had to be thinking, come on, you've got to be kidding me. So here's what you should see. So in the midst of all that's going on in Samaria, big crowds, lots of people coming to Jesus, God calls Philip to walk 165 miles down a nasty little t- to a nasty little town called Gaza because he's preparing one guy. This had to be confusing for Philip because God was using Philip in Samaria. God, what are you doing? Sometimes what's happening to you is not about you at all. It's about the other person that God is preparing. So some of you, listen, you were in the middle of something amazing and it feels like God took you out of that and you're thinking like, does God not care? Maybe it's not about you at all. Maybe it's about the people God's preparing to come into your path. Maybe, maybe the suffering that you're dealing with right now, you think, like, God's not even with me. I don't even understand. Like, nothing is working. Maybe the suffering that you're dealing with right now has nothing to do with you at all. Maybe it's to do with the people that you're going to be able to get your arms around that you could never have six months before. So here you've got this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch that God has been preparing, and now God brings him to Philip. Let me just say this really quickly. Um, the same thing might be happening to some of you this weekend. Maybe like the Ethiopian eunuch, God's been preparing you, putting questions in your heart, questions about life, about God. Maybe you're looking at your kids and then almost randomly he sends a Philip-like person into your life. Maybe you're here with them this weekend. I don't know how people always get here, but I want you to know that God's, uh, God's way of guiding us is never random. We do not, listen, as Christians, we don't believe in fate. We believe in the serendipitous nature of God, like he actually guides us and moves us. Could it be that God has you here because he wants you to encounter him today? Some Christians will say this, uh, why does this kind of stuff never happen to me? Maybe it's because you've not put yourself out there. I know every time I'm used by God, I just think to myself, I never, um, 
I'm a shy person. I've told you this before. I know none of you believe this, but this is very true. When I first came into the ministry, I have like um, things in the back of my pocket in case I ran out of things to talk to people about. I don't know how that was going to work. I've told you this. We're like, how would I, how is the weather? I'm your weird pastor. <laughs> Every time, uh, a couple of months ago, I told you the story how I got on a plane and I was so tired. And the lady sitting next to me said, listen, I've been looking for God. I'm wondering if you could help me. And I was like, and somebody said to me a little while ago, why does stuff like that always happen to you? I'm nobody special. I'm actually particularly shy. I'd like to be reading a book most of the time or sitting on my white couch. The only reason God uses me is because I get up every morning and this is the exact prayer I pray every morning. God, would you use me? And you can do that too. God can use you in supernatural ways to meet Ethiopian eunuchs along the way. Probably don't use that as a metaphor or put it on your fridge. People come over for lunch, it might be weird. But God will use you to encounter people that he's been setting up. Verse 32 says, Now the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And this is a quote from Isaiah 53, which was written about, uh, almost, uh, was written about Jesus almost 800 years before his birth. And Isaiah had prophesied that the Messiah would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. He would be wrongfully accused of crimes he did not commit, but he wouldn't even open up his mouth. And we know that from Scripture that that took place. Um, when Jesus stood before Pilate, he was accused of the most heinous crimes and he didn't even open his mouth. Um, and, and, the, and the eunuch, verse 34, said to Philip, about whom, I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Can I tell you the real reason the Ethiopian eunuch asked this? Listen, when people ask us, ask us questions, when you ask a question, it's not just a random question. It's generally around pain points pain points in our lives. This is why we have to be gracious with people. Um, there was a sign outside of the outer court of the temple in Jerusalem that said, no lame, no blind, and no eunuchs may enter here. So that Ethiopian eunuch has gone to Jerusalem to find out about God. And he gets to the temple. No lame, no blind, no eunuchs. Imagine how that would make you feel now, in that day and age, many people chose to become eunuchs so that they could, they chose to become eunuchs for power, so they could have power. Instead, they could have power. And, um, but in this same section of scripture, what you need to know from Isaiah 53, or from where the eunuch was reading, Isaiah said, let the eunuch no longer say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord to the eunuchs who embrace my covenant, I will give you a house in, I will give you in my house a name better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So what the Ethiopian eunuch is really asking is, is there room for me? Is there room for me? Am I too far gone? Have I made such poor decisions or have decisions been made for me? We don't know what this man's story was. But have decisions been made for me that I cannot reach God? And God had Philip come right at the right time to explain to him that now Jesus says yes to all of us. That because of Jesus' death, 
and resurrection, Jesus has open arms to all of us. Verse 35 says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along to the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. What's cool about this scripture is it just reminds me of how simple salvation is. We, as people, this is why it's important we sing that song like that we were singing um, today about like break off all my, religion says there's 45,000 rules you got to follow and you got to do each of them in order and if you don't, you're, this scripture from uh, Acts chapter 8 reminds us the the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip were talking, uh, Philip explains the good news of Jesus to him, the eunuch sees a puddle because remember they were in a desert, okay, so this is not like, this is not, I know that when we read it we think it was a large body of water, no, it was like a glorified puddle, And the Ethiopian eunuch sees it and says, what's stopping me from being baptized? He had had no catechism training. He had not gone through a 17-part step. He just said yes to Jesus. This is what baptism is, by the way. Baptism is when we say yes to Jesus, and then we make it public. This is a little plug. If you have not been baptized before, let this be September 17th. Get baptized. Come get baptized. The water will be warm, and it will be a little bit more than a puddle. Um, there's something amazing and powerful about when we say yes to Jesus. And, and, and listen, there's something amazing and powerful about um, us as a family getting around people who have said yes to Jesus. So I know you're all on vacation throughout the month of August, but in September we want to cheer for those people that are saying yes to Jesus. Um, what's amazing, what's most amazing about this chapter is what happened after it. Um, the ancient historian Eusebius said that the eunuch and his band of servants went on to plant the first church in Africa. And um, before there are even white Western European converts in Acts, we see a thriving church in the middle of Africa. Let me just, as an aside, this is why we cannot be just mono, a monocultural, the church was never a monocultural church, never. It was always multicultural first Gentile church was an Ethiopian church. Give a shout out to all of our Ethiopian brothers and sisters uh, who, who, have, who have gone before us as, as people following Jesus. This is, why, uh, this is why it's so beautiful to look out on this crowd today and think, yeah, we are becoming a multicultural church. There's something we can learn from each, each other's cultures and the dynamics that are happening there. And uh, the Ethiopian church actually became the strongest Gentile church in the first century. It's amazing. Every once in a while when you hear someone say Christianity is a Western thing, uh, you can just remind them that this is actually not true, not true in any way, shape, or form. We're thankful for our, and, and by the way, the church of Jesus is growing fastest right now in Africa. Of all the places in the world, it continues to grow the fastest in Africa. So we say thank you to our African brothers and sisters whose shoulders we stand upon. Yes, yes, whose shoulders we stand upon. It, it, this, is not, this is why we cannot condescend. Yes, yes. If I have a soapbox, I probably have 14, but this is one of them. We can't condescend to one another like, oh, we're so glad that you're here. So now that you can become, when, you, when we come to Jesus, we don't come to become something. We don't come to become like, a white Christian, or a, bring all yourself and all your culture to Jesus. 
And then we learn from each other in all of ourselves, in all of our cultures. This is why we do Taste of the Nations every year, because we remember our culture. There's nothing inherently evil about culture. When we lay it at the feet of Jesus, it becomes beautiful. God makes it beautiful. And this is why we, this is, this is why we strive to become a Revelation 21 kind of church. Every tribe, every nation worshiping God in the way that God has made them to be. The point is, God used an ordinary guy for his first international missions trip. Picked Philip. God prepared Philip, and God prepared the eunuch, and he brought the two together. The fact that it is a layman and not an apostle that first carries the gospel internationally tells us something. Tells us something about how God uses people and how the, God, the, the Lord spreads his gospel around the world. And I, I've explained to you this before, I think, in this series, but one of the curious things about Acts is how Luke goes out of his way to show over and over and over again that the gospel was spread not by the super apostles, by the regular people. Um, and we saw it last week in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and now we see it in the first missions trip, and it doesn't stop there. When Paul finally arrives in Rome to preach Christ there, he's greeted by hospitable brothers. That's what it says in the book of Romans. You can see it in, in Acts 28, verse 7, who seem to have been there for quite some time. They're laying the ground for the gospel to grow. And many of you have jobs, listen, that put you in places, in contexts of unreached people. This is the call of God. The call of Acts didn't stop at Acts chapter 28. The call of God is still for today, for you, for all of us. One of the challenges of international missions is how to support it all. We talk about this a lot when we talk about Kingdom Partners. We believe in being a church that's not just making a significant impact here, although we will make a significant impact here. We want to be a church that's making a significant impact in other places in the world. Um, and, you know, could it be that God wants to use you as a business person or an entrepreneur or an engineer or a chemist or a doctor to take the gospel to places that it has never been before? And Part of our job, we believe, is to equip you to take the gospel to those places. And so in the next year, you're going to hear about all kinds of opportunities to join short-term missions trips. And traditionally, uh, both of our churches had youth going out on short-term missions trips, and we do that for a number of reasons, because we know that like, a youth's discipleship is really tied to if they go to camp, which is why we're missing all of our, a lot of our teenagers today, and if they have a short-term missions trip experience. That's been proven. Uh, but what we also want to do is offer opportunities for people who are beyond youth ages and who maybe don't want to go with teenagers somewhere. It's okay if you don't. We bless people like Heather that went with our young people and didn't sleep for a week. Um, but we want to give opportunities because we actually know that A, it's going to do something in your heart but B, it's part of God's plan. It's how he uses, it's how he brings the gospel to people. And um, I know all of a sudden you're all like nervous. She's going to make us sign up right now to go somewhere I don't want to go. And I am not going to do that. But let me just, um, I just want to explain a few things about the world. Um, not trying to make you feel guilty, just, just to open up your eyes. There's 1.46 billion people on our planet that have no access to the gospel. None. Never heard the name of Jesus. 3.06 
billion have very limited access, like maybe they've seen a church before in their life. And if you lined all these people with no access up, they'd go around the world like 25 times. In China, there's one Christian for every 700,000 Chinese people. So there are millions and millions of Christians in China, but still only one for every 700,000 people. Here's a stat that will blow your mind. So 5% of the population lives in North America, 5% of the world's population. 91% of all the Christian workers live in North America are ministering to the 5%. Now that stat, if you're not into stats and you've gone to sleep right now, your brain is like already sleeping, let me just, just, I'm going to break it down. Basically, all the full-time Christian workers are trying to reach a very small percentage of the world. We have to be stirred in our heart to say, God, how can we reach the 95% of other people? Like, wh- what can we do? Now, for some of us, th- th- and I'm not saying all of us, for some of you, for sure, God will call you to another country, and my prayer is that we will send hundreds of people from Journey Church. We'll bless you to go. Some of us don't, aren't called to go to another place, but you can certainly take a week off and go and bless, pray for somebody in another country. You could probably certainly use your skills to say, God, how could I bless? Some of you are entrepreneurial like crazy in this place today. And you could say, God, how could I use my skills? What ideas could you give me in the middle of the night to meet the 95% of people? Our goal is to send 100 people every year on mission trips, short-term mission trips. I think we can do that. People that'll say, yeah, I'm going to give up some of my time. Part of it is just in us saying yes to God. Okay, God, fine, I won't go to Bahamas again. Well, maybe you will go on a trip to Bahamas. I don't know. The Lord's going to speak to you. But, but I, am getting the, I, I am getting you ready, preparing the ground. When you hear these opportunities, I want you to have already settled in your heart a yes to God. Yes. I'll do that. Part of a maturing church and part of our job as we come, by, by the way, in November, we're going to celebrate our fifth year anniversary as a church. And it's amazing, three of those years were weird, but it's nonetheless our fifth anniversary. We're going to celebrate all that God has done. But in that, we want us, we, we're, we're, my prayer is that we would all mature in God and say, be able to say, yes, God, yes to anything you call me to do. Yes to all the ways that you call me sacrifice for you. So today, I want you to take a bold step just with yourself today. I want you to commit to the process of saying, yeah, God, I'll go. I'll do something for you that's out of my comfort zone. You may not have all your questions answered, but I want you to commit to begin the process. I knew that in some way, I could feel the Holy Spirit saying this will be a bit of a process. Neither of our churches have had a long history of long missions engagement, but, but we're going to become that. Maybe you've been on a short-term mission trip before. Maybe you did that as a teenager or a young person or even as a, 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 an adult, and God's asking you for something more. Maybe uh, you've been wrestling 
with what God is asking you to do. So God wants nothing more from us than our yes. Our yes that says, God, I, here's where I lay it down. Every burden, every crown, I'm going to surrender to you. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Basically, what I'm asking you to do this morning is give God a blank check. And this is dangerous. <laughs> this is dangerous. But I am asking you to lean in and hear his voice. What is he speaking to you? What is he asking from you? Where is he asking you to lay things down? Things you have been holding on to, seats that you have been sitting in for too long. See, the truth is, is if we've trusted Jesus with our salvation, if we trusted him with our salvation, we can certainly trust him with our lives. And that's what I want us to do, to realign our commitment, to say, God, I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm just going to ask you to stand here. For I know some of you right now, you're already thinking, I'm not qualified, I don't know Jesus enough, I don't, I want to continue to remind you there's no gap between He's calling you as a Christian and he's commissioning you as a person. You're ready. The fact that he called you, you're ready. He's got something for you. There is, there is somebody that needs your voice. Maybe you're thinking, um, I'm not comfortable sharing my faith. And that's, that's fair. Some of you just think, I can never go on a trip because I can't talk in front of people. It's fair. But we'll find a place that you can use your gifts, all your gifts, for the glory of God, and we'll train you. We won't send you in the deep end drowning. Oh, you kind of think like, oh, I can't take two weeks of vacation. I only get one week. It's fine. There'll be a place for you to say yes. All God needs is your yes. I don't have money. I don't have the money for that. I mean, I think about that on the daily. I got two kids in university and two embraces, so bless the Lord. Somehow God provides when we say yes. I don't know how God's math works, but it does work. It's like, I, I don't know how God makes like 10 cents look more like 100 bucks, but that is our God. That is part of the faith journey with God. Some of you have never thought in a million years, you just thought, I'm just going to come to this church. The chairs are kind of comfortable. The service time works for me. I want to encourage you to say more to God than say, say yes for your own growth for your own discipleship, for living on the adventure that God has for you. I'm going to just ask you to bow your heads just for a minute. I'm going to ask you to listen for God's voice. Maybe it's not particularly a missions trip. Maybe God has been speaking something to you very directly. And you just haven't taken time. Maybe you need to lean into a small group this year. Maybe you've got to lean into community more. Maybe, maybe you've got to Sign up for marriage counseling. I don't, I don't know what the Lord has been speaking to you. Just, would you just listen for his still, small voice? If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you've never said yes to Jesus, the easiest thing in the world today is to say yes to Jesus. We say yes to Jesus when we, when we believe. Romans chapter 9, verse 10 says, if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. It's as simple as that. We just say yes. God, I am a sinner. 
and I'm in need of your salvation today. The minute we say that, we are his, and his voice becomes a voice that we can hear. Just whatever God's speaking to you in this moment, would you just make a decision? Say, yes, God, I'm going to be obedient to what you have for me. Yes, God, I'm going to say yes to you. I'm going to say yes to your ways. So God, for my brothers and sisters here today, I pray that you would give them courage now. For all of us, God, when we have the opportunity to say yes to you, would you give us courage to step out, be obedient, move us in the way that you want to move us, transform us, and make us more like you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.